Good morning. We're going to get into our study of Acts chapter 1 um, now, but I wanted to begin by asking you a question. Um, how good are you at waiting? When you've got something, something really good just around the corner, not too far away, maybe a birthday party or a big trip or something like that, when you've got something really good around the corner, what are you like? Are you somebody who, who gets a bit fidgety and just can't wait to get started? He's distracted all the time and, and, and can't wait to get going with that thing. Or maybe, maybe you're not so much like that. Maybe you let it colour your day in the way that it makes you feel. So you wake up in the morning and you remember that thing is not too far away. And it helps you get through the day, helps you focus a bit more because you've got light at the end of the tunnel, you've got something good to look forward to, or maybe something else altogether. But that's the kind of situation that these disciples are facing here. If you were here last week, if you're not, don't worry. Well, beginning of Acts, Jesus appears for the final time in his body and promises the disciples that they'll receive the Holy Spirit before too long to wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon them. They're going to be clothed with power from on high, but they've got to wait. It's not quite happening yet. And so what do they do? Well, they face the future on firm foundations. Those are the two big things that we're going to anchor what we're looking at today. They face the future. They're looking forward to it. Um, and they do that by building firm foundations, not just for themselves, but for us as well. So how do they face the future? Well, Sammy read us the story earlier on. The first thing that they do in verse 14, gathered all together, those 11 disciples named with Mary, the mother of Jesus, other disciples as well, his brothers and um, others of the, of the women, 120 altogether, it says. And what do they do? What's their big priority as they're facing the future? They pray. Verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer. I wonder if maybe you're in the habit of praying when things are looking bad. Um, that's one of my bad habits is I pray much more when I'm in a sticky situation, when I've got something that's making me nervous. Whereas these guys are praying in anticipation. They're looking forward to the Holy Spirit coming. They've seen Jesus go back to heaven. They're, they're on cloud nine. They're waiting for something good and then they pray, not just when bad stuff happens. They're, they're praying together as well. Did you see that? They're joined together constantly in prayer. So whatever they do as they're facing the future, they bathe everything in prayer. So they're bathed in prayer. That's how they face the future. And the second thing is, is they have a big idea that's born in scripture. So bathed in prayer, born in scripture. Look at what Peter does in verse 15. Peter stands up, always the one who's taking the lead. He stood up among the believers and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared our ministry. He's talking about scripture. He's got an idea born in scripture. So skip down to verse 20, and Peter starts quoting the Old Testament, quoting a couple of Psalms. It's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his leadership. That's Psalm 69, Psalm 109, if you want to look that up later on. So verse 21, this is the big idea that's born from scripture. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living with us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of the, these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Peter's thinking. The disciples are thinking together. Their time, they're looking at the future. All they're thinking is bathed in prayer. And then an idea comes, a big idea that's born from scripture, that's born from spending time studying, reading, um, thinking about how God's words 
inspired by his Holy Spirit, not just the words of people encountering God or having spiritual experience or something. No, the scriptures are God speaking to us through Bible writers like David. So what is it that the Holy Spirit's saying to us now? And they have this big idea born from scripture. We'll go and look at that idea a little bit fuller later on, but, but that's another thing we can do. As we're facing the future, good things or bad things, well, we bathe it all in prayer. And we spend time studying scripture and seeing what God wants us to do as we have ideas and plans and strategies and, and visions and hopes that are born from scripture. That's what Peter does. It's what the disciples do together. And then what do they do with that idea? Bathed in scripture, born, oh, sorry, bathed in prayer, born from scripture. What do they do? They bring it to God's feet. Their idea their future is brought to his feet. And they do it in a bit of a strange way, or at least strange to our ears. They take two men, eventually whittle all the candidates down, just to Matthias and Joseph Barsabbas, called Justice. <laughs> Lots of different nicknames for him. Um, so they've got two characters, and then they draw lots. That's a bit of a strange thing for us. Um, at least it feels strange. We often think that that's probably a bad way to make decisions, isn't it? To throw a dice or to flip a coin. It seems a little bit arbitrary, a little bit random, or a little bit like it's testing God. Um, if, you, if you've been a Christian for a while and you know the, the old stories of Gideon in the Old Testament who put fleeces out just to see if what God had said to him was really right or not. And it seems okay to begin with doing that kind of thing, just checking with God, but then he seems to take it a bit too far. And, um, and he isn't really trusting God's word but ends up kind of trusting his own impressions or wanting more information than, um, than is really necessary, taking things into his own hands. So sometimes drawing lots can be like that. It can be something that's, um, that's not particularly healthy, something that kind of expresses our desire to know more than we need to know or to take things into our own hands and be really sure about the future by giving God a test or something like that. That's not what they're doing here. They're not setting up some uh, kind of random test where where God has to fulfill it this way or that way in order for me to know the future. It's not a particularly random thing. What they're doing is saying, Lord, this was your decision originally to choose these disciples. So would you make the decision now? They're bringing it to him. They're putting it in his hands. It's actually a pretty rare thing in the Bible to make decisions by drawing lots. So I would say again today, it's probably not a particularly healthy thing for us to do. Uh, maybe there would be situations at some point where we would draw lots or flip a coin or something like that, and it's, I don't think it's necessarily sinful or wrong thing to do. But this is a pretty special circumstance. Let me show you where I'm getting that from. Back in Luke's Gospel, this is um, Luke's first book, Acts is the sequel. Jesus chooses the disciples. In Luke chapter 6, you can write it down or look it up right now if you want. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. This is right back at the beginning of the story. He spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, a few disciples, more than 12, following him at this point, and he chose out of all those disciples, 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So this is Jesus' idea, and Jesus choosing, and Jesus commissioning Simon, and goes through the whole list of them, um, to be witnesses, apostles, to, um, to carry his mission on, to witness his life, to hear his teaching, and then to go and be the foundation of the church. So you see, Jesus chose, that's the point, Jesus chose those apostles. We'll get to what that meant um, in a little bit. That's what the foundation is all about. It's built on the apostles. But the decision is Jesus's. 
And the disciples reflect that here. They say, Lord, you are the one. This is kind of what they're saying. You're the one who chose us in the beginning, us 12, to be 12 disciples who would mirror the 12 tribes of Israel to be a, a, a new people of God. So you chose us in the beginning, will you choose us now? And they bring this decision at, and lay it at his feet. Um, and they know that God is sovereign, that he's the king, that he controls even the roll of a dice, the choice of a short straw. Whatever it is that they, that they did to choose, um, they, knew, they knew that God was the one who controlled that decision. That he was the one who controls even the roll of a dice, even the hair falling from your head, even the length of a straw that you pick. He knows everything and is sovereign over everything. And so if they say to him, Lord, you choose, they know whatever, um, whatever the lot chooses falls on, that's his choice. But it's a pretty special circumstance. So I don't think it's really something we should do um, to make decisions. What we should do is trust God. It says um, in the Proverbs, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. He's the one who directs us. We don't need to know everything in advance. A good little illustration of this, if, if this is something that's troubling you or, or just something you want to think a bit more about. Good illustration is to think of Adam in the Garden of Eden being given the job by God to name all the animals. You can go back and read that story if you want. God says to Adam, name all the animals, curate creation, organize it for me. You name the animals. So he gives him a big vision, a big task to do, and then Adam goes and does it. And he doesn't seem to do it by second guessing what God wants those names to be. Do You see, God gives him a big plan, a big task, and then he has to go and fulfill it with his own creativity, with his own wisdom. If they'd been anywhere else, maybe he could have got a team of people around him and thought about what would be the best way to understand and, and curate creation, to name those animals. God doesn't tell him exactly how to fulfill the mission, just tells him that he needs to do it and gives him great dignity and great honour as a person to go and use the gifts, the skills God has given him, the mind, the creativity, the, the humanness that we have to make decisions, to be responsible, to order things. That is part of what it means to be made in God's image. So when you make decisions, there's no need to put out fleeces, to draw lots, to try and second guess exactly what God wants you to do, to who to marry, um, how many kids to have. Uh, what job exactly to get, which restaurant to go to today, what to pick on the menu. You don't need to second guess God's specific will for every single one of those questions. You can use the freedom that God has given you, the creativity, the humanness. And actually, that's a good thing. It honours him for you to take those decisions into your own hands, prayerfully bringing them to his feet, mining scripture so those ideas and answers to those questions would be born in scripture, bathing it all in prayer together, and then going with the freedom and the honour that he's given you, the dignity of your humanness to go and make those decisions on, um, on your own. You can do that. You don't need to draw lots and second guess his will. So this was a pretty important and specific decision. We'll get onto why that was in a second. But do you see, this is how we can face the future with a team of people who we pray with. Are you praying with anyone at the moment? Maybe somebody who's sitting next to you on the sofa right now. Maybe somebody comes over and visits you in the week. Do you make it a priority in your day? Not just when crises happen, but I mean facing good things and bad or just not really sure what the future holds. Do you make it a habit to constantly, what does it say in verse 14? Constantly gathered praying. That's what they were doing. Facing the future by bathing everything in prayer. And are you in scripture with those same people? Do you open the Bible and mine it? 
for, for, an, for an indication of God's will, to understand what he wants from you as a person, to understand who you are and all he's done. Does that shape your decisions? Are your plans and ambitions for the future born in scripture? And then finally, do you bring those to, to him, to his feet? Not necessarily in drawing lots and flipping coins and that kind of thing, but do you bring them to him in prayer and say, Lord, you're sovereign. You're the one who controls everything. Would you help me with this decision? Would you speak to me in your words? Would you help me understand as I pray what it is you'd have me to do as we face the future? So that's point number one. We're facing the future and doing it in the same pattern, following the ways of the early church in prayer, in, in reading scripture and applying it to everyday life and in bringing them to the God who's sovereign overall. But what do they do? Okay, there's more in this passage than just kind of practical tips about how to make decisions. Let's think a little bit about what decision they're making. We read Peter earlier on talking about his big idea born from scripture was that they needed a 12th apostle. I mentioned a little bit before why they were 12. Well, Jesus chose 12. That wasn't a random number. 12 apostles that matched the 12 patriarchs, 12 tribes of the people of God, of Israel. So Jesus is coming into the world saying, I'm going to rebuild the people of God. This people of Israel who failed to even recognize God, their God, when he walked into the field of human history. Well, I'm going to build a new kingdom and it's going to include the old people of God, but it's also going to include people from every tribe and tongue and nation. They're going to be based on the foundation of the apostles. Let me show you where I'm getting that from. And that's what Jesus does, choosing them at the beginning, calling them apostles. But in Ephesians 2 as well, it says, it says this, Ephesians 2 verse 20, talking about us as the church, says, you are God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, New Testament and Old Testament, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So that's who we are as God's people. We're a temple. We're a building built on a foundation. Who is that foundation? Well, it all starts with Jesus and Jesus choosing apostles. Our building is is based on um, on God, on who he is and who he's chosen to, to teach us about who he is. So there's two things, two things that make our foundation that help us walk into the future. Two things, one is the character of God and two is um, the apostles of God. Let me show you that in this passage. First is the character of God. Well, it's trustworthy. We can trust him because he knows the end from the beginning. We heard Peter say that, verse 16, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit's Spirit long ago through David spoke concerning G Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So David, who wrote hundreds of years before these things even happened, you can go back and read his songs, 69, 109. David, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, spoke about Judas hundreds of years before these things happened, knew that Judas would betray God's chosen king, knew that Judas would need to be replaced, knew that Judas would die and, and his guts would be, sorry if you're about to have lunch, would be poured out into a field and everyone would avoid it and kind of skirt around it. Go and read those Psalms. That they're about somebody betraying the king and meeting a sticky end, needing to be replaced. David saw these things through the Holy Spirit hundreds of years ago. So this is God saying to us, my plan is something completely trustworthy. I literally wrote the book on these things hundreds of years before they even happened. God knows what's going to happen, has planned what's going to happen, 
has the future in his hands. And so you can trust him with your future, with the future of our church together, with the future of our country and the world. You can trust the God who knows the end from the beginning. Our firm foundation is God's character, is that he has a plan and he's going to bring it to fulfillment. You can imagine it a bit like this, that he's a father you can trust, that you're a little kid who's got your hand in his hand, walking into the future. And any scary man who comes along, any strange person, strange circumstance, scary thing, and you look up at his face, what do you want to see in your father's face when you're facing something horrible, when you're walking through a dark alleyway, meeting somebody scary? What do you want to see in your father's face? You want to see certainty. You want to see confidence. You want to see strength. You want to see love. And that's what we see in this passage, isn't it? That people who stand against his purposes, people who betray God and his people, you don't have to be afraid of them. God will deal with them. God will bring justice. He'll bring his strength to bear on those who oppose him. That's a sad thing to think about, isn't it? A sad thing to think about Judas, who all that time with Jesus could have been walking closely with him, but instead chose to stab him in the back, chose to betray him. I wonder if somebody's betrayed you recently, or if you are still scarred by an experience of, I don't know, that's just made you really struggle to trust people. Have you had something like that? Well, look, you can face the future, uncertain as it is, difficult to trust people around you as it can be. You can face that future with your hand in God's hand, looking to his face and knowing that his face is strong and courageous and determined and full of love, but also set, determined to, to bring his purposes to bear, to bring the Lord Jesus to the throne that he deserves, to be the good king who'd crush evil, who'd sweep away wickedness and darkness once and for all, who'd wipe every tear and lift up those who look to him. So don't be a Judas. Don't be somebody who turns your back on Jesus. It's not a safe place to be opposing him. Jesus is good, but he's not safe. Don't oppose him, but put your hand in his. Trust him. He's a God whose character we can trust. He knows the end from the beginning. He's completely strong and will deal with evil and bring good. And those who call on him, those who look to him, even though we're not good, he forgives us and brings us with him. Second thing we can rely on, first thing is God himself, that chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus, and the second is his apostles. That's what this is all about, isn't it? This strange story sandwiched between Jesus promising the Holy Spirit and then giving the Holy Spirit at the beginning of chapter two. It's a weird story. Why is it here? Well, it's to teach us that we can trust all these words. You can trust the apostles. Who are they? Peter says, we've got to find somebody, a 12th man, to fill up the number that Jesus called to be the foundation for this new people who are going to follow him, who are going to put their hands in his as a good father. We need a 12th man. And what's the qualifications going to be for him? Well, he's got to be somebody who's been there from the beginning, who saw Jesus, who was with him from the start, who saw his whole life and death and was a witness to his resurrection. This is what apostles were. These are the people who began our faith. It's not that it started in obscurity, that the Christian faith was something that kind of got cobbled together through various Chinese whisper kind of systems or was put together by monks hundreds and hundreds of years after Jesus. No, it didn't happen like that. It's just bad history. It's not true. What happened was these 12 apostles and plenty of others saw Jesus, were with him from the beginning, saw him killed, 
saw him raised to life again and then heard his teaching. Back at the end of Luke's first book, Luke chapter 24, verse 45, the disciples meet Jesus. They see him face to face and then listen to what they hear. Verse 45, chapter 24 of Luke says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. You've seen all that. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So you see, they weren't just witnesses of Jesus's life, who then went and shared their opinions about his life. No, they saw him and then they heard his teaching. They got his interpretation of what it all meant. That his death meant forgiveness of sins. That his resurrection meant life beyond the grave. Meant life with God, knowing Father, Son and Holy Spirit, with his Holy Spirit with us. Jesus interpreted all of his life, his death and his resurrection for those disciples. And then he sent them out as his witnesses, as his foundation stones to be the ones that we build everything around. Do you see that? So you can trust this when you go and read Luke, when you go and read Acts, when you go and read the other Gospels and the other letters, you can trust that all of the foundation we have for Christianity is built on the apostles who are trustworthy men, who, who saw Jesus, who were there, eyewitnesses, who heard Jesus and got the right interpretation of things, and then who passed it on to us. So when you hear their teaching, really you're hearing Jesus, the cornerstone. When, you, when they tell you what he did, you're seeing Jesus the eyes of your heart, with the eyes of faith, you're seeing. Do you, you see that? You've got a connection straight back to Jesus, not to some monks in whatever century, not to somebody's opinion about some man in a distant misty past. No, no, no. Our faith, all this stuff about Jesus' forgiveness, about his love for you, about him, him being a good father who walks with you, who will take you through anything, who will help you face the future. All of that is true because it's rooted in the apostles, what they saw what they heard, what they passed on faithfully to us. That's what this whole story is about. Peter saying, look, we've prayed. Look, we've read the scriptures. We've taken it to Jesus' feet. We've drawn our lots, strange as that may be. And what we've got to do in the future is lay a good foundation. So as we go on into Acts, if you stay with us hearing the rest of these stories, you can be completely certain that what we're reading is the story of Jesus and his work, that what we're hearing in the sermons and the teachings is what Jesus wants us to hear. We've got a solid and firm foundation for our faith so we can face the future, bathing everything in prayer, having ideas and ambitions born from scripture as we bring them to his feet and say, Lord, we trust you. You are our God, you are our cornerstone. Would you help us build our lives on you? Let's pray. Lord God, we, we want that to be our prayer, that we would build our lives on you, that you'd be our cornerstone that the teaching, the witness of your apostles would be the things that we cling to. And Lord, that as we do that, we would really be clinging to you, walking with you, building the life of our church, of our lives, of our families, of our community on these sure foundations. Lord, facing uncertain futures, knowing that you walk with us hand in hand as a good father. So help us to do that. Lord, if perhaps we need to do that for the first time today, would you give us the strength? Would you help us to trust you? Would you open our eyes to see that this really is true and trustworthy, that we might take your hand and walk with you into the future. Lord, for those of us who've been walking for many years, we ask that you would, that you would settle our hearts. Lord, um, that you would 
help us to pray that you would help us trust you as the sovereign God God who who knows and has planned even how dices roll. Lord, help us to be always with our noses in your book, um, with ideas, with ambitions based on uh, what you've told us to do. And Lord, bathing everything in scripture as we do that together. Lord, we don't want to be Christians walking on our own. So would you give us a team around us that we would be people who trust you, who pray together, who open your scriptures and who walk into the future hand in hand with you and hand in hand with one another. Amen.